Hey, you've heard of Stephen Hawking, right? Well, the only reason you ever heard Stephen Hawking is 1969 Auburn graduate Walt Waltos. In 1980, the aerospace engineer turned electrical engineer, turned the space shuttle inverter, turned software entrepreneur, turned, who knew, feature film producer, developed Words Plus, the augmentative communication program that allowed the famed ALS-stricken physicist to continue to write and lecture and, apparently, order multiple bottles of wine. Yeah, you heard right. So get your mind ready and open wide. It's time for a healthy dose of Waltos. Well, I have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. It, it looks something like this. You're listening to the Hashtag Getting Podcast, brought to you by Auburn University's Samuel Ginn College of Engineering. Okay, welcome one. Welcome all to the latest episode of Hashtag Getting, the greatest podcast in all of higher education. We are honored today. Well, first, wait a minute. We're honored to be here, and I am Jeremy Henderson, a communications specialist, if you can believe it, with the Office of <laughs> you, Communications you and Marketing. You seem a little off your game. Is, this, is it the eye? It's the eye. I've got, I got a problem with it. Woke up. It's uh, been walking around flying blind. Uh, with the uh, Office of Communications and Marketing and the Samuel Ginn College of Engineering, here as always with my co-host, Austin Phillips, the Assistant Director, and also here as always, Marcus Klutz, Producer, Director, Extraordinaire, and a Muay Thai uh, expert, uh, soon to go pro. Fighting, I, he's fighting Connor, what, next week, fighting this Connor week? Next week. We are uh, honored today to be joined by an Auburn engineering legend, Walt Waltos. I'm totally going to botch this intro because there's just too much to go into. A 69 aerospace engineering grad and uh, a member of pretty much every society and council uh, we have here in the college. <laughs> uh, I'll let Austin get into it at some point with all of these, but uh, we've got the Keystone Society, the uh, the Ginn Society, Engineering Society, uh, pretty much everything, and again, uh, a member of the uh, the council, and also, I think, uh, I think that building. Are you are you related to the Waltos of the Waltos <laughs> Engineering Lab? Very closely. <laughs> Great. Well, it's thanks so much. Yeah, for she's my wife. It's his wife, Ginger. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, just uh, talk a little bit about your your Auburn experience. You you had some uh, military experience around that time, too. Uh, just talk about what that was like. All right, I did. Uh, at 17 years old, uh, at that time living in Rochester, New York, although I'm an Arkansas boy from way back, um, I knew more, so much more than my parents that I had to get out of the house. So uh, I came home with enlistment papers one day for the Air Force. My dad was in the Navy in World War II. And I said, Dad, I want to join the Air Force, and they'll pay for my college. He says, get me a pen. <laughs> and, uh, so... I went in the Air Force, got uh, through tech school in Illinois for a year in, in electronics, missile electronics, and then got stationed out in Oklahoma and then started taking college courses to earn the first two years that I needed to earn to get into the Airman Education and Commissioning Program, and then got selected. Uh, took me three and a half years from the time I enlisted till I got selected, and they said, uh, where would you like to go to school? And I said, well, how about Auburn? And, and they said, sure, Auburn's a great engineering school. We're going to send you in engineering. Uh, what do you know about Auburn? I said, I don't know anything about Auburn, but one of the guys in the squadron here went in the same program last year and went to Auburn, and at least I'd know somebody there. 
um, serendipity because yes, yeah. uh, obviously once you're here, you just fall in love with the place and you start bleeding orange and blue, uh, which my wife now, um, a former San Jose State, gra- well, not a former, she is a San Jose <laughs> State graduate, uh, didn't even know the name of their football team, but she bleeds orange, orange and blue. And, of course, we live full time now in Auburn. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. What is the name of their football team? The Spartans. That's right. Yeah, yeah we that. played them a couple of years ago. Yeah, of right. course we did. Yeah. Of course, you know who she was cheering yeah. for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Walt, uh, you know, Jeremy had mentioned uh, your relation to to the a benefactor of the Wal- uh, Walto's Research Engineering Lab. Um, you have been one of the top supporters of not only this college but this university, uh, supporting anything and everything here in engineering. Uh, supporting our performing arts, uh, supporting athletics. Why is it so important for you to give back of your time, talent, and treasure uh, to this university? Well, when I was here, of course, uh, tuition was a little bit cheaper than it, than it is <laughs> nowadays. I think it was $150 a quarter. <laughs> we got a lot of state aid back yeah. then. But even the state aid didn't cover everything. And a lot of generous donors, who I will never know, helped pay for my, the cost of my education. Uh, as you know, engineering is one of the most expensive schools uh, to educate a student in because of all the labs and, and uh, the faculty that you have to hire and so on. Um, so I just felt that being as lucky as we've been uh, with the uh, success of the businesses that we've had, that uh, I wanted to do something to kind of sort of pay it forward, you know, and uh, – Talked to the dean here a few years back, and he said, you know, what we really need is to grow the graduate program. You know, we need graduate fellowships. So uh, we now sponsor quite a few uh, graduate fellowships, and it's been really fun to meet the graduate students. Uh, now and then, uh, the dean will hold a lunch, and Ginger and I get to meet some of the students, and um, just recently became uh, very good friends with, with one of them. Uh, She's leaving as of today to go to MIT to finish her Ph.D. Um, and she's a former Air Force uh, pilot, actually a, a, a pilot who's, who toured in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, a couple of tours. And uh, her boyfriend's a Marine who's currently a helicopter pilot with the Marines. And uh, uh, Andrea just became a good friend. In fact, just had coffee with her yesterday with my friend Galen, who's sitting over here next to us. Those businesses that you talked about. Now— from what I understand, not really associated with the aerospace industry, though you are a grad and everything. Talk about the businesses. The Talk about the businesses. All right. Well, I, I started out when I left here in 1970. Uh, nobody was hiring aerospace engineers. It was a real bad downtime. Now, aerospace. why was that? Uh, just the industry was down at the time. The government funding and, and everything else uh, had just kind of dried up and, and gone way down. So I actually got a job with the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, out of Atlanta as an electronics engineer. Uh, my degree was aerospace, but I always wanted to be a double E, and I grew up with a dad who was a double E, and he got me into ham radio when I was 12, and so I started learning about electronics. And then when I was on active duty with the Air Force, I was in missile electronics. So I had enough of a background to be able to do the job that they hired me for, and I did that for about a year. And my oldest son started uh, needed to start school. Uh, he reached the age uh, of kindergarten. So luckily, a year later in 1971, uh, things opened up a little bit in Huntsville, and I took a job with Northrop uh, working on the space shuttle. 
and uh, discovered by accident, uh, working on a computer program that was 12 boxes of punch cards, uh, <laughs> discovered by accident that if you roll the shuttle upside down for its climb into orbit, you could get about 8,000 pounds more payload for free without changing anything else. And that's why whenever you saw a shuttle launch, it rolled upside you down. You figured like, that out? The computer program figured it out. I just gave it the ability to do a roll maneuver, thinking that would help a little bit because it, it, it wasn't originally able to do that maneuver. And it said, oh, if I can roll, I'm just going to roll all the way upside down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at first we didn't believe it, and we double-checked everything, and lo and behold, it was true that it was just aerodynamically more efficient to fly upside down. Until you get out of the atmosphere, then they roll back right side up. Always weirded me out as a kid watching the shuttles. Oh yeah, and you think you think like, oh, Lord, what's, what's, it's, turn, it's turning upside down. What's happening? Wow, that, yeah, I had never, I, I never knew that I that connection. Well, funny story. I was in the uh, engineering suite uh, for an A Day game a few years back, and this fellow named Robert Lightfoot was there, and uh, his daughter Haley was going to begin the next fall as an engineering student. She's graduated now. Um, and uh, that was actually 2010. And oh, so fun Cam, year. Cam Newton was yeah. here. Yeah. So we're talking for a while and find out that his whole family is Alabama mm. uh, fans, mm -hmm. except for Haley. Haley wanted to go to Auburn, so she was sort of the, oh, the, the smart the, the one. Yeah. She, she was the smart one, and she was the prettiest one, too. She was a really nice-looking uh, nice young lady. And so uh, uh, we talked for a while, and I told him about the space shuttle thing and rolling upside down. And he said— Wow, and I, because I heard he'd worked at NASA Marshall. And so uh, he said, wow, I'm going to have to ask my staff on Monday and see how many of them know why we had rolled the shuttle upside down. We were still flying the shuttle back then. And I thought, your staff, you don't look old enough to have a staff. <laughs> he hands me his business card, Robert Lightfoot, director, Marshall Space Flight <laughs> Center. <laughs> he later became the acting director of all of NASA right. until, uh, what's his name, Bridenstine uh, took over. Well, anyway, the fall comes. We beat Alabama, you know. We're down 24 nothing at the half, and uh, and we end up beating them 28-27. And right. so um, I saw a, uh, a T-shirt advertised online, and uh, Dara Kloss-Hosey was in engineering development at the time, and I said, hey, would you ask Haley uh, Lightfoot, if I buy this T-shirt and send it to her, would she wear it home at Christmas? <laughs> And she checked, and she said, oh, yeah, she would. So uh, the next February, uh, Robert had invited us to be his guests in the VIP se uh, section of the launch for the Discovery Space Shuttle. And the night before, they have a reception. So I saw Robert there, and we chatted a little bit, and uh, Haley was doing well, enjoying being at Auburn. And uh, I said, uh, I heard she had a special T-shirt she wore <laughs> home at Christmas. And he said, are you responsible for that? <laughs> I said, guilty as charged. The T-shirt said, we'll spot you 24. Nice. <laughs> oh, nice. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was, that was the uh, aerospace stuff. And I did that for a number of years. Ended up uh, finally going out to the Air Force Rocket Lab at Edwards. And then up to United Technologies in uh, Sunnyvale. And while I was there, my wife's mother had ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, uh, Ginger came into my office uh, one time and, and said, do you think this is 1980, right? Nobody had a personal computer back then, hardly. Um, she said, do you think something could be done with a personal computer to help my mom communicate? And I thought, good Lord, I'm working 80 to 100 hours a week. I, I don't have time for this. So I kind of... I said, I don't know, you know, and a couple of weeks later she came back in and 
told me a story about how her mom had been trying to communicate with her dad and she couldn't speak and she couldn't write. And, uh, and uh, the long and the short is she was trying to tell her dad that when he came in to the home, he had left his keys on the outside of the door in the door lock and, and she couldn't communicate this. And she got frustrated and was in tears and he was frustrated. And then finally a neighbor came over and knocked on the door and said, Hey Dick, you know, you left your keys outside. So I thought, all right, let's try to do something. And we bought a TRS-80 Model 1 Radio Shack computer. It had 16K of RAM. That's K, not megabytes or gigabytes. That's K. And started a company called Words Plus and had that company for 30 years. And my friend Galen here now owns and runs that that, uh, company. Uh, But we did that. And about halfway through that, um, I got to the point where I couldn't think of anything new and innovative to do. And so I thought, well, I really enjoyed simulation and modeling when I was in the aerospace industry, you know, developing software for that. But now I was in healthcare for 15 years, and uh, I thought, well, maybe we can do something in healthcare. And I looked around for something to do and decided that there's money in drugs. <laughs> so, uh, so that's when you went to Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, uh, ethical drugs. So, so we started drugs a plus. <laughs> well, it's actually called Simulations Plus. Oh, Simulations Plus. Simulations Plus, and uh, we're on the Nasdaq. Extremely uh, fortunate. That's been very, very profitable, and that's given us the wherewithal to help Auburn University. Uh, so, we do simulation and modeling software that's used in drug development around the world. Uh, all the major companies, any any drug company you can think of the name of, and many, many more, uh, use our software. And uh, most of the regulatory agencies, probably all of the significant regulatory agencies, U.S., Europe, Japan, China, India, uh, all use the software as well. So it, it's turned out to be a, a good business to be in. And, uh, again, we went public in uh, 1997. So we've been a, a public company now for just about 22 years. And as I say, very, very profitable. It's done done quite well. That communication technology, that, that is what Stephen Hawkins w- was using it was. To, to communicate. Did, did, you ever, did you ever meet him? Or um... I have met him so many times. Uh, Ginger and I have visited England uh, when he was alive, uh, usually a couple times a year. Uh, we've had dinner cooked by his mother, by his first wife, by his second wife in their home. Uh, yeah, I got to know him quite well. Um, he had a, a, a keen sense of humor, but he could also be very demanding. I was told by the people who worked closely with him, his nurses and his uh, graduate assistants and so on. Um, but he was very helpful in that uh, he would give us ideas for how to make things better. And so we were constantly trying to improve the software and, and so on to uh, make him able to communicate more efficiently. The very first time he gave a public lecture was in Chicago, at a conference that was actually called the Texas Physics Conference. Um, so it's sponsored by the University of Texas, but it's held in different venues around the country. And uh, a fellow by the name of John Wheeler, who was a person that invented the term black hole, very famous physicist, was the guy running the show. I was flying in from California with a voice synthesizer board, a new board that would give him a higher quality voice to deliver his very first public lecture and so I got there with this printed circuit board and trying to get everything hooked up on this, you know, his wheelchair so that he could give this lecture. And uh, I'm frantic because the, the talk was supposed to start in like 30 minutes. And I really got there by the skin of my teeth in time. My plane got diverted into Casper, Wyoming, and I had to catch other flights and so on. But made it just in time. 
This guy comes up and says, hi, I'm John Wheeler. I turned and looked and said, hi, I'm Walt Walters, not even realizing who this guy <laughs> is. <laughs> and then later it's like, oh, my God, that was John Wheeler. Um, but we got it going, and he gave his lecture and uh, proceeded to do that you know, many, many times in the future uh, to be able to deliver a lecture on physics just by hitting a switch, one That's single so amazing. switch. That's so amazing. What's it like for you personally to be able to see uh, people like that that are trapped all of a sudden be able to, to come out uh, of the shell that they're trapped in by it's, this terrible disease? It's, uh, you know, at first it was tough. When we first started, uh, we were in the Bay Area. I was still working in the aerospace industry, so we were doing this nights and weekends. And uh, we would actually go to people's home. And, um, you know, typically it was an ALS patient, and we would get them hooked up and they'd be able to use it. I mean, ALS patients are generally cognitively very sharp, right. I mean, intact. And so it was just a matter of finding the right movement that they could make to activate a switch of some sort. And then driving home, it's like, boy, you know, this family's got it so tough dealing with this. And yet they were always up. They were they were not depressed. They were not, you know, whining and complaining about their situation. It was like how... How can we do a better job at managing this? Uh, and so we we stuck with it. And then after a couple of years, instead of nights and weekends, we worked daytimes and nights and weekends. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, it was tough going at first. Starting a new business is always tough. Uh, most of them fail. I think something like 90% fail within three years or something like that. But we managed to hang on uh, in spite of me being an engineer and not a business person. <laughs> Because I had the uh, the better mousetrap theory, you know, make a better mousetrap and the, the world will beat a path to your door. Well, that's not true. The guy with the better marketing program may not have <laughs> as good a mousetrap, but he's going to kick your butt out there yeah. in the marketplace. So how did Stephen Hawking, like, find out about the, the technology? How did it come into his world? I got a call from a guy, if I remember right, his name was Martin King. He was a, a another physicist that lived up in Michigan or Wisconsin, somewhere in there. And he had been trying to develop a communication system using uh, uh, an eye gaze sort of thing where you would look into a, a thing about the size of a frozen orange juice can and you would see some cells there. And by looking at one of these cells, it would select that cell and that cell might have within it a series of letters that corresponded to all the other cell, the position of the other cell. So you'd you'd look at one cell and choose the group of letters and then you'd look at the corresponding cell again for the, the letter you wanted, and it would generate a letter in a, in a computer. Uh, it didn't work. It didn't work for Hawking, and he'd gone over to England, and he called me, and he said, I heard you're doing some stuff with ALS, and there's this fellow in England. He's a professor of physics and so on, and he's lost the ability to speak. And I said, are you talking about Stephen Hawking? I said, if, if you are, I'll donate whatever he needs. And he said, well, I'm, I'm under confidentiality. I can't say it. Well, I said, well, just, just let me know. So uh, this was before email and all that. You know, we had faxes. And uh, a couple of days later, he called me. He said, okay, it's Stephen Hawking. I said, give me an address. And uh, we shipped uh, an Apple IIc computer. It was the smallest computer mm -hmm. we could find at the time and uh, had a primitive program we called Equalizer, uh, which Hawking used for the next 30 years. We, <laughs> we tried to get him off of Equalizer and go to the more <laughs> modern things. And we finally did. He went up to something we call Easy Keys, which uh, Galen still has today. Um, but uh, by the time it got to them, uh, British Customs had held it up for three weeks because they couldn't believe this was coming in for free. 
right? By the time they got to him, he was out of the ICU and back home where he could have a larger computer. And so he, he moved up to, uh, at that time, was an IBM PC Junior. Um, so we were up to, I think, 64K or something like that. You know, we, we, were, we were flying Lightning high. Lightning fast. Oh, yeah. And uh, sitting at a good sense of humor. Yeah, he did. So give me an example. Uh, well, you know, people would ask him. He'd go to a function, typically giving a talk for uh, maybe a fundraising event or, uh, or a physics meeting or something like that, and they would have a social time. And uh, they'd start playing some music, and he'd go out on the dance floor and spin around in his wheelchair, and that was his way of, quote, <laughs> dancing, right? Yeah. Um, he uh, also, we took him one time. He came out to San Francisco, and my older son was probably 18 or 19 at the time. He'll be 53 in July, so this is how many years back that was. Uh, we took him around. We had a van that we rented with a wheelchair lift and so on, and took him around the Bay Area and took him up to Sonoma. Um, we wanted to take him to a winery. And the Sebastiani Winery happened to be just down the street from the Mexican restaurant where we had lunch. So uh, we asked the server, you know, what time is the last tour? And she said, I don't think you're going to make it. I think the last tour is 4 o'clock, and this was like quarter to 4 or something. And I said, well, I'm going to go down and just ask. So I walked down there, and uh, this young teenage gal was sitting behind the cash register. And I said, uh, you know, what time is your last tour? And she said, well, 4 o'clock, it's about to go. I said, well, we've got Stephen Hawking down the street at the Mexican restaurant. Um, he'd really like to have a tour of the winery. Is there any possibility to, to have a tour? And Stephen Hawking, you know, she just, her eyes glazed over. She had no idea who I was talking about. She said, I'll go check my boss. About two minutes later, this guy, probably in his late 30s, comes running in. You got Stephen Hawking? Bring him on down. <laughs> so they did the whole tour. And, and the, the lady who gave us the tour, I, I liken her to Barbara Stanwyck. And you, you guys might be too young to remember Barbara Stanwyck. But she was an actress that was very classy, silver-haired, polished to the T. And this gal knew everything about that winery. I don't know if she was one of the owners or what. But, I mean, she was just an extremely polished and elegant lady. And, of course, you end up in the, t in the tasting room. So uh, she says, Professor Hawking, you know, what kind of wine would you like to try? And he says, uh, what is your best red? And she very tactfully said, well, of course, it's a matter of personal preference, but I particularly like, and she mentioned one, and he says, may I try some? So she went away and came back with a little sample cup, and he tried it, and through his voice synthesizers, that's very nice. I'd like to buy a bottle. So... She disappeared, and she came back about five minutes later with a gift-wrapped bottle and said, uh, Professor Hawking, the winery would like to present you with this bottle of wine. Thank you very much. I'd like to buy another bottle. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, great. yeah, that was, that, was, that was Stephen's sense of humor. <laughs> Before we go, have you by chance ever seen a movie called Do Not Reply? Well, I happen to be the writer, producer, and director, <laughs> along with my son. I thought that <laughs> might have been you. Yeah, yeah, or yeah at My least son and I wrote it together. We directed it together. We took turns directing scenes, and then uh, we're the producers. So all this work, helping out Stephen Hawking, and now you're in Hollywood as well. Uh, what's, well what's happening here? You know, my son has a degree in film production, and he's been in the industry for a number of years. He's uh, my younger son. He's going to be 45 in August, and uh, – and, um, we actually started the company about uh, seven years ago to write a, a different script uh, about uh, Bessie Coleman, who was the first American to have an international pilot's license back post-World War I. Most people have never heard of her, but they've heard of Amelia Earhart and, and other early uh, uh, pioneers of aviation. Bessie Coleman was a black woman. And 
she was extremely courageous and had to overcome the sexism because she was a woman and people thought women shouldn't fly, the racism because she was black and the people who owned airplanes wouldn't even let her sit in the airplane and nobody would train her in the United States, so she had to go to France to learn how to fly, how to fly which meant she had to learn to speak French, which she did. Uh, anyway, she became a very accomplished pilot, and, uh, and th- that script is about her story. Um, that's probably an 80 or $90 million production because of all the period costumes and cars and airplanes and flying scenes and so on. So uh, we just decided, let's make another smaller movie that we can afford to make, and that's where Do Not Reply came in. Uh, Good grief. We wrote that and produced it and directed it, yeah. All right. Well, Walt, I want, I want to say this has been a treat to have you on here. Um, there are just a few people who can say that they have supported this university in the way that you and Ginger have, the impact that you are making on generations, on generate. Like you said, there are people who helped you and you never know their name. Um, 30 years, 40 years down the road, they're going to be leaders of tomorrow, uh, thanks to the support that you, that you've given to this university and this college. We're, we're all graduates ourselves, and I want to just personally say thank you for, for what you do for Auburn University and what you do for this college. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, the license plate on my wife's car says, Love Auburn, and, <laughs> and we do. You do. That's the truth. Well, War Eagle Walt, thank War you so Eagle. much. War Eagle. Thanks so much. Thank you.